are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Suspenseful, terrifying, hilarious. Mark Olivero, a Sydney native and doctoral graduate from the University of North Texas, is a composer with diverse extra musical interest. Whilst notions of narrative, program, and theater have always been a stoic component of his music, Olivero offers an explanation of the quintessence of ceremony inherent in all human expression. An obsession with history, mythology, and ancient literature renders Olivero's works riddled with themes from archaeological study and obscure urban legends. His music has been described as epic, unashamedly ritualistic, and atmospheric with dreamlike overtones. Olivero has an interest in exploring sound making using acoustic and electronic materials, rarely separately. The notion of reconstructing lost or imagined performance traditions through intermedia, human computer interface, as well as multimedia composition and design is key to Olivero's aesthetic. Well, cool, man. Well, uh, thanks for doing this. Good to see you again. Hey, thanks for having me, man. This is awesome. Uh, I want to start out with uh, your piece called Motherboard, a circuit bent concerto. All right, so let's let's just start from the beginning. Okay. Uh, because I, I guarantee we will have some listeners that have no idea what circuit bending is. So what is circuit bending? Okay, so if we're starting with circuit bending, then it's just essentially... Um, <laughs> Breaking into a piece of electronic equipment, a safe one, so something that's not sort of going to mains power, as I think Americans would say. <laughs> yeah, so just battery-operated yeah. toys, yeah. Um, right. Something like that, and you break it open, and you look at the circuit board, and you attempt to make connections in the circuit board that aren't already there to affect interesting changes in the sound or anything that goes on with the device. So it could be it could be a visual thing, but usually it's with sound. Um, so yeah, or, or it's sometimes disconnecting certain parts of the circuit board to see what that does as well, but that's usually less fun than just making random connections. So, right. but, you know, it's it, it appealed to me because it's sort of my approach to software as well when it comes to Max MSP and stuff that, you know, we learnt at, uh, at, at uni and school and stuff. And you go and get something else that's super complex and you hack it to pieces literally yeah and um see see what happens when you break it apart so that's i mean for anyone that um approached uh electronic music or electronics like i did from um i don't know uh the position of a bit of an observer or a voyeur not a, not as a technician first up it's a good mm-hmm. way of experimenting. So we already did that in the software realm. It's kind of nice to do that in the hardware realm. Um, and yeah, that's what circuit bending essentially is. So when you're when you're opening it up and looking at the circuit board and like what, I guess, how, do, how did you start doing this? And, and how do you know, oh, well, if I, is it just really random? Like you're, you're just going to try to, uh, well, let's see what this does. Look, um, if you are someone that already has experience with electronics, then you will know what is um, uh, connected to the power module or what is a resistor and what are the various Mm -hmm. components that uh, store the electronic current and all those sort of things. And uh, 
Yeah, if, if you know what you're looking for, then it's quite easy to work out what connections in theory will render interesting results. If you approach it like Did me, you know what you were looking for in the, in the beginning? No, sir. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it was a, it was a really fun process of um, just, I, I literally got, uh, you know, the two alligator clips and I made a connection at one point of the circuit board and made another, fired up the toy and just heard what was happening. And look, I really, really, in development for this piece, I reckon I spent about three months in the garage every night coming back from work playing, okay? And this is not to mention that I was breaking over my, uh, breaking open rather my son's toys, both my son's toys. <laughs> now, when they got down to the garage, it was like some kind of a battle scene and all of their prized <laughs> possessions had been smashed open. Something, you know, Lord of the Rings meets Daddy, Teletubbies. Daddy, what you do? <laughs> oh, I, you know, and, and Ari was waking up in the morning going, Daddy, what did you do to my toys? Are you going to fix them? You know, like... <laughs> So I was I was the devil for a while, but hopefully yeah. people feel like in the uh, musical results it was all worth traumatizing my children. <laughs> so so I mean, how does how does this piece kind of uh, work in a in the live situation? You literally have the toys like broken open, and you're just kind of making connections. Mm. But I think I used my Max MSP or my computer music training to. Um, try to find a new package for what I had broken open. So I didn't literally have the guts of these toys just out for the world to see. I did try to recase them, you know. So um, okay. I, I went to like essentially a dollar store and bought what was I think actually lunch trays and, and plastic trays for your microwave. And I had uh -huh. one as an undercarriage and one as a, as a I don't know, the, the, the face of the instrument. And that's where I drilled my holes and made um, room for my uh, potentiometers and my on-off toggles and stuff like that. So, like, really, uh -huh. I did approach this um, when I put it all back together again as if it was a Max Patch for me and then putting, like, my GUI on top, but it wasn't a graphical user interface. It was a, a haptic or a physical <laughs> interface that, right, that right, I right. then had a percussionist uh, the sort of musician I trust most, and I'm sure you know why, um, yeah, to yeah. actually <laughs> to actually operate. <laughs> I'm biased though with that. Okay, and that's a shout out to people like Rob and Dan Trampty. Shout out to Dan. Yeah, <laughs> yep. you know what I mean. So, so that's that's my. We, we know how to do things. You know, you know. Like <laughs> anyway, hopefully you guys will take over and rewrite the way conservatories do these things. But anyway, that's another topic of conversation. <laughs> Um, so anyway, yeah, um, I, I did build a casing for the whole thing, an instrument if you like. So there was ways of affecting mm -hmm. changes and turning various effects and modules on and off. And then it seems like there are more live electronics going on than is what just is coming from the circuit bending or, or is like your instrument doing all the electronic sounds? No, I, I tried to um, add some of the software into the loop of what was going on. Like I would say that the main vehicle of the software was actually to have a, um, a way of displaying the live score. So the, there was, a, there was a, 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 a video, a live visual that was going on um, during the performance and that also was the score. So the video score, the visual element was something that was uh, being uh, driven by the computer by using Jitter. Um, and I also had a loop between the electronic instrument 
and to the software where there was fixed media going on in the in, in, ah, in okay. my Max Patch, yeah. And that was actually being fed into the instrument. And then some of the instrumental sound was also going, yeah. So there was one toggle where I was able to to directly loop like just an obviously an analog feed of the um, uh, of what was coming out of Maximus P, the the computer music software, and then I was able to take what was happening in the hardware electronics, also going directly into my audio interface, which was then going into Maximus P, which was then sort of operate, uh, sort of. Uh, um, uh, sorry, at that point, it would be the hardware instrument was toggling the fixed media on and off. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Right okay. And I mean, when you were, you know, you said you spent like three months kind of just playing with this stuff to try and find the, the you know, the sounds or the connections you were looking for. And then when you finally got to that place, you know, how do you go about taking this? These some of these sounds that are some of them are like you know really freaking crazy, and then orchestrate around them to the point where it sounds so natural. Like your your orchestration around these sounds in the acoustic instruments really see. It, I mean it, it it well it well you'll tell us. Okay, <laughs> cheers, mate. Well, look. Um, I, I will take the compliment. I'm not sure it's absolutely all by design that it feels natural. But if I'm to answer that directly, I want to say that, and this is playing into what we were talking about before with percussionists and an electronic instrument, I had not only the video score and the way it was timed temporally, but also mm-hmm. how much of the fixed media was allowed to be heard and how quickly the various effects on the electronic instrument were passing through time. All of that was ordered by one person, one entity. And uh, Louise Devinish was the performer in the ensemble Decibel that commissioned the piece. Um, She had, and and we discussed this, not that we had spent a lot of time together preparing the piece, but she was um, forethinking enough to say, how much time do you want me to really push through these uh, video and audio segments that could really meander on for a long time. And I said, tr- because I wasn't very specific in the score with that, that I was giving it open to the performer to sort of time these things, I asked her to push it through quickly so there was a sense of momentum. And if there was cohesion with the way all of those elements moved forward in time, it would be because it was controlled by that that uh, concerto performer, that electronic soloist. Ah, okay. So you said it was the decibel ensemble that commissioned the piece? Correct. Yes. Uh, how did you get connected with them, and what is what's the instrumentation of that ensemble? Mm. So, uh, Decibel are a, a new music ensemble, an absolute tour de force in uh, Perth, Australia. So, uh, look, there's a lot of strong um, uh, artists and artistic communities, over, and institutions for that matter, over in Perth, the other side of of, of Australia, uh, on the west coast. Right. Um, and uh, Decibel, I would say, is sort of the backbone of a lot of that. They are not only um, a a cohort of composers, like some of the the main uh, performers, uh, Cat Hope, the um, founding member and director, as well as uh, Lindsay. Um, uh, 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 Lindsay Vickery, sorry. Um, they both uh, sort of are the directors of that ensemble and are also, um, you know, institutional members of the, um, uh, the WAPA, the school over in Perth. And um, they uh, they um, put together this this particular uh, uh, 
uh, concert, um, which goes together with the Totally Huge New Music Festival, which is uh, another mainstay on that part of the island. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they put together this um, this concert of works called the Electronic Concerto, and they got funding. Um, and I was part of the application through the Art Music Fund in 2016, which was the, the inaugural year. And that was a, a essentially a new music fund put together by the Australian government through the Australian Council, Australia Council rather, and the, um, our Performing Rights Association (APRA), um, as well as the Australian Music Centre, um, which is just Somewhere that sort of it's a it's a it's a library an online library but also a a community of uh, of of composers and stuff like that not so different to um, a, a BMI and um, your, right, yeah, right. You know, your sort of uh, performing rights associations and composer associations right. um, but that fund uh, essentially sponsored and and uh, uh, my piece and I, <laughs> with all of the experiments there was a lot that I spent on all of the electronic components to sort of get that off I the bet, ground yeah. <laughs> you know over that three months I destroyed not only old toys but new toys so there was, <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a battleground man oh my god but um, so uh, that, that that ensemble really um, uh, uh, requested the work from me and helped me put the application to the uh, new music fund, uh, um, uh, the art music fund, sorry. And um, yeah, and they did all the rehearsals and put the event together, and um, and I flew over there, and it was an amazing event. And what was the instrumentation? Ah, thank you very much. Now the they are, they are essentially the 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 ensemble. They are like a. Poirot ensemble. So there's flute, there's clarinet, there's percussion. Um, I believe they have pianists that do come and do stuff with them as well. Um, what else? Uh, a violin, cello, right through the ensemble. Um, so yeah. it's Cat uh, Hope on flute. It's Lindsay Vickery on clarinet. Percussion is uh, Louise Devinish. Um, Aaron Wyatt on violin. Um, Oh, so of course there is a pianist. Um, uh, Stuart is on piano, and um, the uh, there's also cello in the ensemble as well. So we're going to hear uh, an excerpt of this work. What are you know in this particular ex- excerpt? What are the kinds of circuit bent sounds that we're we're going to hear? Like what what are you kind of getting out of your instrument in this excerpt? Oh. Um, well, both. So I actually developed three individual modules for each of the different movements. I only got to okay. two movements in this performance. Um, but in the first module that I had, um, which I made from uh, the blue lunchbox that I got at the dollar store, it comprised of <laughs> three different toys that I stole off my son. Um, one was a clock, um, if I remember. One was like a toy guitar, if I remember. Um, and each of these just had a very, very simple rubber button interface that you could sort of trigger, and I used a toggle um, for that. I broke apart most of these um, and made my own switches and toggles for uh, for operation in the mm-hmm. performance. Um, but um, in the first movement, um, you've got three different instruments which um, uh, are being affected by both potentiometers and toggles. Um, in the max patch, it's being fed directly into a filter-like instrument, just like the... Um, 
what is it? Uh, Forbidden Planet, you know, like the food of Forbidden Planet. Oh, type, yeah, you know? yeah. So there's a lot of that mm -hmm. filtration going on. So that instrument goes directly into my audio interface and it's a Max MSP. But then there's also a fixed media file that then gets fed into some of the toggles on that instrument too. And that's being affected through time. So a lot of the, 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 the um, pedal point of electronics, if you like, is weaving through. There are, a, there's also a video score, which you won't be able to see, but there's phases of the moon, which the instrumentalists are either playing a fundamental tone if you hear the full if, if they see the full moon or if they see a phase of their moon they're like affecting the, that fundamental through harmonics or or multiphonics or things like that and that's how that's being ordered all controlled by the soloist. okay all right so we're going to hear a excerpt and the piece is called motherboard a circuit bent concerto So let's move on to uh, your piece for saxophone and computer. And this is called Black Midi Matter. Yo. And what I, I'm going to have a lot of questions for you at, that are just like, what is this? <laughs> so what is Black Midi? Awesome. Okay. So it's part of the inspiration for this piece. To, so Black Midi um, is like this movement in Japanese music. Um, where I think if, if I'm summarizing it correctly is essentially that you get so much MIDI data into a file that you crash the computer and as that happens it sounds awesome <laughs> okay so in like it's literally clusters in a lot of ways like to like that's the way I think uh, music theorists would describe what they're hearing and that's how it would right. look like if you saw a notation in the MIDI file but it's just so dense 
and there's so much activity going on that like it just too much too many bits or something and it just crashes the computer or crashes the file or the file starts to glitch and jitter and that sounds cool so okay so it, i mean as you're going about this you know like kind of filling up your screen with with notes and and it's is it you're recording the moment up to where it crashes and that's where you get all that kind of glitchy noisy kind of stuff well i mean i believe so that's 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 how it happens with the with the data files like it's it's in the process of reading the file that the computer sort of essentially craps out and starts to, uh -huh. to, to glitch and that's where it starts to get really cool. Now, I think when you're listening, and I, and I would encourage anyone to hop on YouTube, hop on SoundCloud and just listen to some of the, and I mean, I can't even think of any of the awesome artists that I have listened to and I think a lot of them have just online presence and I don't think they're always real people in the uh, in the way mm -hmm. that you can interface with them, if you know what I mean. But there's some really yeah. awesome stuff out there and you hear like it sometimes it, it starts off like a cluster and I try to capture this in my computer part. It often starts with a cluster and then it starts to glitch and and and, and sort of come up with some really interesting textures just as the computer fails to perform as it the, the, the file asks it to, which is always cool. Right. Um, and I wasn't actually able and... This this might just be my my lack of coding chops, but I found it much more. Um, I was much more able to replicate the sound that I enjoyed in real black MIDI pieces by just using sound files and glitching those. The effect I found was because I, I wasn't comfortable with actually taxing my computer to the point that it would glitch out and no longer right. be able to perform my piece. <laughs> I have those problems enough yeah. anyway, you see. So I just decided to try yeah. to do it a little bit safer <laughs> and use clusters and use modules that would glitch the live sound of the saxophone in order to replicate these awesome effects in a genre of music that I respect. So from... From the past piece, we heard, you know, the uh, the circuit bent concerto, and I think this piece as well. And as I think we're going to find out, a lot of uh, the rest of your pieces, you have a real interest in noise as a compositional element. And I mean, I suppose many composers who are involved in electronics have an interest in noise in some way or another. But it seems like for you, like the grittier, the better. I mean, how did you how did you get into noise? as as something that you were really focused on compositionally well look uh there are so many places like i want to i, I want to say that it's it's people like you and people like dan trampty again like just pieces of yours that i have seen and heard and i, I don't know you know like there are, i think there are so many steps along the way of my musical development and i want to say right. america's a big part of it but then in a more abstracted sense and and closer to where I am as a musician right now, I have, along with the influence of people like a good friend of mine, Benjamin Carey, shout out to you, um, who is now using a lot of modular synths in, in, in his music. I mean, just dealing with raw electronics, bringing it back to the Circuit Bank Concerto again, there's a lot of noise in that. You know, it's almost like the the raw signal is noise. That ground wire is noise, right? Right. And yeah. so it's always there and we can work against it or we can work with it. And there are, yeah, there have just been so many places. I want to give a shout out to Andrew May, who I feel like told mm. me that distortion is the best way of giving dynamic and textural character to a sound. And, and that's 
type of a noise as well or a, a gritty sound as well. Um, there are so many people, I think, that have given me a positive opinion of noise. So thank you to them. Yeah. Bring it back to Zanarkis, who I would say is my favourite composer. I think that through noise, he gets amazing textural quality to his music. And I think that we often think of awesome texture when we think of awesome composers like Zanarkis. For the uh, for the original sound files you were using to kind of glitch, um, what are some of those sound sources that you were using? I think I recognized one of them really well, but I'm, I'm curious cool. um, if I'm right or not. <laughs> yeah, well, look, uh, one of them is certainly a uh, piano cluster right down the bottom. Um, on a on a grand all the way down to an A, so a nice nice deep one. Um, I think there's another one that's even lower to an F, so a very very low uh, piano clusters um, on a Steinway grand. Um, and then uh, a couple of them are just some of the pre-recorded um, sax lines within the piece. And mm-hmm. um, I need to acknowledge that in the sax piece, I took transcriptions that I made myself of some of um, John Coltrane's uh, and Charlie Parker's solos and some of their their grittier bebop works, uh, just some of their, some solos like from um, uh, Giant Steps and just 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 some some really you know um, awesome 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 tenor sax solos, and I essentially in putting together some of the sax lines, I glitched them myself. I took certain lines and then just edited out another line and then sort of superimposed that and concatenated small phrases from all mm. over the transcription. So I was trying to superimpose some of that glitch uh, in the solo part. So And that was being glitched itself in the live computer part. So there's, there's right. just a lot of layers of glitch going on. So it, it can and it does end up being a, a cacophony of noise in a certain point, at a certain point rather. And I saw... Uh, on I think it was SoundCloud or maybe your website or something that um, there's a video component to this piece as well. What is the video yep. component? Um, okay, so there's a couple of um, fixed video files that I have. Um, one of them is uh, a it looks like a snowflake fractal. Okay, and this actually starts playing mm-hmm. into the conceptual part. So the the piece is called Black MIDI, but it's also Black MIDI matter, okay? So the matter part is me uh, in a way reacting to American politics and some things that have been happening in American, um, yeah, just just just, just uh, social movements, I suppose. And obviously it's a Black Lives Matter, that movement, uh, the, that hashtag mm-hmm. is something that I'm making reference to there. And look, I'm not trying to get too much into the movement and what, um, like, I'm, I'm not a voice that is part of that movement. Um, at all, but I am sort of reacting to how it has affected a place that I care about deeply. I've been paying a lot of attention to American politics, not just as an Australian, but as someone that used to live in America. And I, I hope you guys are okay. There's always there's a couch behind me, mate. All right, so you know, <laughs> just saying, you know. You know um, <laughs> oh, that, that that offer is sounding better and better daily. I'll tell you, buddy. We, we got some speakers here, man. We can make some music just as things settle down, you know. Anyway, but you know, jokes aside, um, there are some symbols in the video and symbols in perhaps in me using some some Coltrane in the sax part. I'm sort of in a in a uh, in a way. In a, in a way of observing as an artist, I'm trying to shout out to those elements of black culture that we need to be very careful when we're happy to listen to and enjoy, but are not 
willing to defend. So the very first symbol, that snowflake, is making reference to a particular part of American politics that refers to another part as being so sensitive to people's feelings that we are snowflakes. So very literally, in amongst the clusters, the computer smashes those snowflakes wide open and shows what's really at the heart of the matter. And that's, you know, our black MIDI component there, which is also getting smashed open so we can see what's at the heart of what's going on there. There's also an image of a body which is caught up in a grid. Now, I am making reference to incarceration there, I think, as a very... I don't, I'm not trying to be too hidden at all in any of my symbols. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure that any of it I'm ready to tackle very directly issues of... Uh, gun violence or anything like that. I don't think there are any references necessarily to guns, but I do have symbols that I feel like I can react to, the snowflake, um, over-incarceration. There's certainly a problem of an imbalance in uh, black incarceration in Australia. Um, My wife is is of... Indigenous um, uh, descent, and you know, so I—it's I, certainly a problem in Australia. Like when when there are things that we share, very unfortunately, the way that we treat black people in Australia is is pretty terrible. Has been culturally, has been historically, and it's still a problem. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a video component as well. Um, you, I'm not smashing that right open because that problem is still pervasive. So it is a pervasive video element, and you see that sometimes going on with the black MIDI source material. Um, and yeah, between those two, there's also a, a, a clock, not a clock, but it's one of those video times, uh, 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 time clocks that you would have counting down to when the broadcast was going to start going seven, six, five, four, right. three, two, one. So that's part of the video as well. So that again is a, is a very unsubtle symbol saying that we're running out of time and that's what is also happening in the video as well. Awesome. Well, we're going to listen to it now. Who's the performer on this recording? Uh, The recording that you have is a very, very good friend of mine, Andrew Smith, um, on tenor saxophone, and he's playing that. But I also need to shout out to the person that um, uh, helped me develop the work, uh, Nick Zulek, who performed the piece in January at the uh, US Navy Symposium, I think it was. Awesome. So this is Black Midi Matter.
Now the next the next one I need some pronunciation help on is it auto dafe? I'd say dafe, yeah. Dafe, yeah. So, okay. um, I, where do I get that run from? So that's uh, uh, I, I don't think it's a it's a proper translation or, or or it's not true to the original Portuguese. I think, but I think it's essentially like um, uh, it, it means killing yourself essentially um so it, it's it's oh, it's yeah okay. yeah it's it's hanging really it's hanging it's allowing yourself to be hanged this piece auto de fe it's a uh, suite and it's for uh marimba and bass recorder we're gonna hear two movements yeah. of it the second and the third movement and each one uh in its title has uh well i think each one has the word ritual in it yep. so i mean you were kind of almost with with the last piece black uh black midi matter you know you were talking about symbols and now we're talking about rituals in this piece how does how does ritual and symbol and you know these icons how does that come into your music oh man okay so i want to say that that is um almost everything i want my music to be about um i th- I, I, I'm not an overly religious person. Um, I hope that my ex-mentor and teacher, Joseph Klein, will get a listen to this because we spent a lot of time talking about ritual. He has a piece called Ritual in which I think he essentially breaks open a, a mundane ritual where he shaves his entire head beard, head and all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was talking about, you know, like a mundane ritual but how it becomes very much a performative ritual and is certainly worth a theatrical audience. And I think in uh, anyone's music, there is an element of ritual to not only learning the piece but rehearsing the piece and then performing the piece. And I'm interested in bringing all of those components to the scrutiny of the audience. Um, now... 
in this particular piece, um, the ritual is multi-layered. It is certainly a programmatic inspiration, um, but it is also a performance aspiration. I do want to feel like in the structure of the work, there is some sort of a discovery of what each of the performance actions is supposed to mean in the context of all the ones that have come before and all the ones that are gonna come after. So um, there are lots of, so there are religious connotations to certain movements. So this auto de fe, um, and now that I remember it more, I think it not only means uh, ritual hanging, but I think it also is a reference to um, burning at the stake, which is the, the part of religious history that I'm looking at more, more specifically. So this is a piece that's inspired, and a lot of my music is, by my father's cultural inheritance, which is, um, he's a Eurasian from Singapore. Now, anyone that's ever been to Singapore would know that it is a unique place with not a bunch of ethnic minorities, but it's got four ethnic majorities. Um, people think of Singapore as very mm -hmm. Chinese, but that's only one of the ethnic majorities. There's also a strong Indian community, a strong Malaysian community. And where my father's people are from, there's a, a, a strong Eurasian community. People that are, um, I think, uh, ethnically descended and uh, as, a, as homage, this is in their, their uh, surnames, uh, which are Portuguese, Dutch, English, Spanish, all of those. Very similar mm -hmm. to, the, uh, to the Filipino people. You know, there's a, there's a strong right. link there. Um, but um, I have always uh, been interested to discover more and more about my father's Eurasian ethnicity because it's super complex. Some of it is super English, some of it is super Portuguese, some of it is Malay, some of it feels Chinese, some of it is you can't even pick. It's like some uh, uh, Polynesian island that is yet to be discovered or something. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of complexity to the culture. And I want this, this piece. This piece in its four movements, in its four rituals, is a cavalcade of of musical culture where I've got little symbols everywhere. Um, the marimba and its woody tones, the recorder and its woody tones. And in this ensemble, duo Blocksticks, which is put together by its founding members, Alicia Crossley on bass recorder and Joshua Hill on uh, marimba percussion. Um, I think there's a lot in the aesthetic of that, that wood uh, th those sounds, those wooden sounds, that I think I can draw parallels to some of the musical aesthetics of uh, the bamboo gamelan type sounds of Malaysian music, and even the, yeah. you know, the the even the wooden guitars of Portuguese folk music, you know, mm -hmm. and that's all part of the DNA that I'm trying to weave into this piece in its ritual four movements. And how did you get connected with these performers? Well, um, Alicia is a really long-time friend of mine. Both Josh and Alicia went to the Sydney Conservatorium where I did my undergrad. Um, and look, both of them, um, Alicia in her own history of commissioning and she's got three, four, five albums out there where she's commissioned all Australian oh, composers. Man. Yeah, she's, look, guys, look her up and uh, aliciacrossley.com.au, I think is her website. Um, go check her stuff out. She commissions new music. So you want to be mates with her, essentially. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Joshua Hill, I mean, he's one of the percussionists in Synergy. I mean, I think a lot of Americans may know the Synergy Percussion Group. Um, 
But um, yeah, he also is involved with a lot of commissioning of new music, although he's also an opera percussionist and he's super busy. He's a dad of two as well. So he's a very busy man. Um, <laughs> he is a busy man. You know, so um, they just do a lot for new music and they commissioned this work from me uh, probably because I'm a friend of, of theirs. So thank you very much, guys. But it was a serious commission and they may, it, it's, it's, on a, it's on a CD as well. They're... Debut album, I believe. So um, I think uh, you can check it out on Move Records. So I think they're the group that distributes this album. So um, I think you're, I mean, I had never, I don't think I'd ever heard a bass recorder played before. And you're getting a lot of really, really interesting sounds, especially I think in the second movement um, that that we're going to hear first. Um how, you know, what kind of research, what kind of experimentation process did you go through with either on your own or with the performer to kind of find some of these sounds? To answer that question, I might have to dial it back to an earlier collaboration between Alicia and I. And she actually brought that piece to Seamus in uh, 2013, I believe. And I was, with her expert performance, I was able to get the, uh, the silver medal and the, um, the uh, young composer, you know, the student oh, commission nice. thing. Yeah. So I, right, that, right. I, it was all her, okay? All her, all right? So um, <laughs> uh, that, that piece was uh, in development. The two things happened. I mean, she, she took me through all the ways that she can express herself with extended techniques in that instrument. And look, it is just like every other woodwind instrument, if not more diverse in the yeah. sort of sound qualities that you can get. You can hear it. You know, there's there's stuff of it where, you know, it does sound very Baroque, but other places where it sounds like a shakuhachi, you know, there are so many places mm -hmm. where you can, yeah, it, it's, it's almost like some sort of... Um, uh, a transcultural um, entity that you're really able to mold as a composer to anything that you want it to be. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, definitely. Very exciting. Um, in that piece as well, though, um, because I did conceive of the electronic component first, the fixed media, which I designed at the, at the studios in Semi whilst I was at UNT. Um, the way I put the, the live part together, I... I, I improvised using a very, very large tin whistle that I had. Like a, a really, yeah, I know, it's bizarre, right? But it was like a like this three foot long tin whistle that I have. And okay. some of the breathy tones you can get from that is similar to the bass recorder. And, you know, I set up a microphone, I think it might've been this very SM57. And I just played some sounds into my computer and then saw what Alicia was able to replicate from my wacky improvisation. Right. So I okay. think what, 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 all the bass recorder players that um, I have worked with, and I need to also give a shout out to Anna Stegman, who contributed to the fixed media part of this piece, and I worked with her and did some recordings of her improvisations. And oh that, wait, well, but but th this piece we're listening to doesn't have any fixed media, just marimba and bass flute or uh, uh, bass recorder, right? No, no, no. But I'm talking about the piece that I originally collaborated. Oh, with. the the that, one you did the research on. I got yeah, it. that sort of taught me how to write for the bass recorder. Got um, it. Got it. I, it. There was a very um, I was very closely connected to people performing it before I, I even started writing those dots. So I had the luxury, I suppose, of hearing these workshops mm -hmm. with these awesome recorder players, one from Australia, one from uh, from Germany and Holland. And and through their work, um, I was able to sort of get, get, get in my ear what the instrument can do. And there's a lot of that the instrument can do and certainly worth researching yourself and, and, and writing for because it's a very, very colourful instrument. You know, I just figured like looking looking at the title 
um, and not really knowing how to pronounce it. It didn't really register in my mind, but I just figured out like where I, I knew this from. Um, and this is, <laughs> this is a reference. Um, Mel Brooks's history of the world part one there is a there's a sequence where it's it's about the Spanish Inquisition and he's like the Grand Inquisitor and it comes in it's like this totally you know uh over the top Broadway Broadway number and there's a part in the song where it was like auto de fe what's an auto de fe it's what you oughtn't to do but you do anyway like <laughs> That is amazing. I never got what auto de fe was. <laughs> and now I know. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, let's listen to this piece with that. Burn through it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're we're going to uh, the performers that we're going to hear are duo, duo Blockstick. And uh, the piece is called Auto de Fe Suite. And we're going to hear the second and third movements. And what are the uh, titles for the, each of those movements? Uh, movement number two is uh, Renta Sila. Um, that is a direct reference to some uh, Malaysian compang drumming, which is something else that you should totally look up. Um, but uh, it's a particular a, a rhythmic structure for for a chorus of drums that is very very oft heard in Malaysian uh, Muslim culture, and then the iteration ritual is essentially, which is the third movement, um, is essentially uh, looking at some of these rhythmic subgroups from the same um, culture of drumming, the compang drumming, and just sort of playing with repetitions of them and fragments of those in. Um, I, I think I think it, it does make reference to some of the glitch music that I like, but this is just more of a, um, a, a an acoustic music exploration of, of fragmentation and iteration. Cool. So this piece is called Auto de Fe. <laughs> Thank you. 
I think the last I think the last piece we're going to listen to is your most recent completed piece, is that right? That is right. Yes. Performed exactly a week ago. <laughs> when yes, when we are recording this exactly a week ago, it was premiered at ICMC uh 2018 in uh Daegu, Korea, South Korea. Um I I wish I could, I wish I could have been there, man. Like it it seemed it seemed like it was really cool. Um, but having just moved back to the States from, if I was still living in China, it would have been so easy. I would have been there in a heartbeat. Oh man. (laughs) And the same, the same thing, uh, last year, you know, I, I lived in China for four years and I went to ICMC 
when it was in Denton at UNT. So oh, I man. traveled from uh-huh. China or from China to the to America for IMC, ICMC. And then as soon as I move back, ICMC is in Shanghai. Literally a 25-minute train ride from where I lived. And I'm just oh like, my God. Yeah. I mean, I'm no, no, I'm sorry. I'm I'm not going back. I, I just moved into my house. I'm not going back. So I didn't go to Shanghai and, and this year I did the I did the pay to play thing. They they still played my piece in Korea, but nice. I, just, I and and the the other thing was like so many places are doing this right now. It's like they don't tell you that you're in until it's way too late to get institutional funding. Like for yeah. at least for for where I like I need a I, a good solid three months before and I mean yeah it's an international flight man like yeah. give us a little time anyway that's <laughs> neither here nor there that's just me bitching about it but anyway so this piece was premiered at ICMC 2018 a a, a week ago when at least when we are recording this yeah. um and this piece is for flute computer. And uh, live video, because it's using Jitter, right? Yes, there's a live video component of that piece too, yeah. So what kinds of things, I mean, are all of the sound, you know, save from the flute, of course, are all the sounds that you're producing from the computer, is there any fixed media in this or is it all live? No, um, there is fixed media, um, but it was from my modular synths. So ah. I, yeah, so, so my baby with uh, my synthesizers is, well, I, I have a, a small uh, uh, s- uh, section of, of URAC instruments, but really I've got the keyboard synths and I've got a, a, an ARP, ARP Odyssey, and um, oh, it's beautiful. And it can make some really beautiful noisy sounds with, yeah. it's just, it's powerful, you know? So in the, in the middle section of the piece that it really explodes out of nowhere, um, that's all my ARP. So all of those noise sounds are all the art. The really bassy stuff and the, the really high bursts of noise, that's all the, the art. The beginning and the end is, mm-hmm. all, is all computer music stuff. It's all generated from the computer live. It's, there's some, some uh, additive synthesis stuff going on, uh, some, uh, some amplitude modulation stuff going on. Um, there is uh, a bit of a feedback machine that I've got like a, a controlled feedback machine going on at the beginning. Um, but, um, and that all, so... Symbolically, this piece, um, so it's called Lilith Cometh. Um, and uh, because I was uh, collaborating with the, the very awesome uh, Patricia Sermon, um, uh, another UNT grad, um, I wanted to, and this is actually something that I didn't mention with the very first piece we spoke about, Motherboard, but there was a part of both pieces um, programmatically that I wanted to pay homage to uh, feminine culture in a way that, I don't know. Again, like the Black Midi Matter piece, I'm on the outside looking in or that sort of stuff because mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a dude. Um, but I know my mum, so I so I wrote a piece motherboard, sort of about you know being a mum or uh, what I know about being a mum. And um, then this piece here, Lilith cometh. Um, I believe I am a feminist or at least an ally. But um, you know I've. I, I, I want to I be part of it, but, um, you know, I can only do so much. So in this piece, there are symbols that I use um, as a way of me trying to express what I, what I know about certain elements of 
feminist literature, feminist literature in this piece, is all to do with uh, the subject, Lilith, who is the less known first wife of Adam in uh, certain uh, uh, Jewish folklore. And mm -hmm. uh, she's the one that refused to submit to him um, as Eve was supposed to. Um, and she took off. So I would say one of the first feminist superheroes and a really, really interesting character in my opinion. So she's the subject. Um, similar to the video piece that I did with Black Midi, um, I've got some models that I've got in the piece that sort of get smashed. Um, so I've got some things that I, like some, there's some sort of models of cities and stuff like that at the end of the third part of the piece that um, I have sort of getting sort of smashed wide open and those cities are supposed to be like, they're like uh, urban landscapes, but I don't know, I'm sort of using them, those sort of uh, phallic tall buildings as like symbols of right. patriarchy that are getting smashed open, yeah. Um, yet in the middle section, I've got like a model of a, of a female bust as well, like like a like a Greek or Roman bust, um, mm -hmm. and then also um, like a very 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 androgynous looking sort of three um, D model of a woman that also gets sort of smashed open at various points. But I, I try to make the three D model sort of break open into 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 like um, uh, leaves and petals to sort of go for the. The nature theme, the, the components of the nature theme that I think the Lilith char character in, in, in the original mythology was denied, that Eve was granted because she was, you know, subservient or whatever in the story. So anyway, there's a lot packed into the program there, but um, hopefully with the more direct symbols that I'm trying to use in the visual component, as well as some very stark changes in the audio, I'm, I'm trying my best to... Um, offer a very direct and honest communication about what these symbols are supposed to be and how they function in the piece. You know, we've been w with several of the pieces already, we've been talking about noise and it seems to me, and I wanted to get your take on this, that, I mean, with this piece especially, but the other pieces as well, you know, you are interested in computer-generated noise or electronically-generated noise as opposed to, you know, like, I think a lot of composers, when they are writing electronic music, you know, it's a lot of recording, acoust acoustically recording a lot of sounds. And it seems like, you know, you are very interested in... Uh, noise that is electronically produced that it's compute you know uh produced by a computer or or produced in via some means of electricity really you know and is that a distinction that you make in your music that you are you're really looking for uh the kind of synthetic in a way hmm. uh yeah I, I would say so um i think Sort of to answer the question more simply, those there, there are lots of composers that um, uh, put a lot of effort into having, even within the synthetic or computer music realm, or uh, either electronically or, or in a computer music um, mode, a very well polished, pure sound, something right. like a, like a, a, a you know. Um, just a lot in the in the shaping of an envelope that is that 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 sounds pure and 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 perfected in a way. Now, I think I'm more interested in the opposite of that. Something that is 
too alive for the signal almost. It's very gritty, mm-hmm. you know, like they, you know, uh, thinking about what distortion is um, theoretically, like too much energy to be contained within the spectrum yeah. almost, you know? So um, yes, I, I, I think that I'm interested in, in, in synthesis and uh, both electronic and computer generation. And when I'm doing that, um, I, I want to have almost described as a maximalist aesthetic. I want to have uh, a complexity in the signal that is too much to contain. Mm-hmm. As opposed to a um, a simplicity in the tone that um, is uh, leaves it naked almost leaves the signal naked. I, I'm I'm not so interested in there being too much um, <laughs> nudity <laughs> in my signals. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a conservative apparently. All of a sudden, <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think you know. With how you were describing your approach to approach to electronics, it actually kind of it it seems like your approach to electronics is maybe maybe based on at least I, as I am interpreting it, maybe your approach to instruments as well. You know, you're looking for the human quality of an instrument you know i mean of course like there uh you know when when electronics came around so many composers were like oh we can eliminate all those pesky little human you know ticks from from the performance and it can be perfect and everything and it you know that very polished electronic sound really gets at that like oh well this this is you know this is perfect but in a way it's non-human or inhuman and it seems like you, with your electronic sounds, you are trying to get to the human quality of sound. And that is, the human quality of sound is just imperfect by nature. Yeah. Or, um, you know, I get, well, that, that, that's hard because, you know, you, you, you have to define what perfect is. And um, we didn't know anything non-humanly perfect until computers came around. Absolutely. No, no, no. I think uh, in terms of what I'm trying to achieve in my music, I think you're uh, describing it perfectly, actually better than I could myself. So, um, yes, I am very, very interested in what is, if we are to uh, uh, use the synonyms uh, imperfection and humanity, then yes, I am very much interested in making um, anything that I design Mm. as hardware, anything I design as software, anything I design as notation, um, anything that is visual um, design, all of that stuff. I want it to be living and human and unpredictable, you know? Like, there's I build a lot of aleatory elements into my musical notation, something that we haven't really managed to, uh, to discuss today because there's so much, um, uh, so, so much music that we've spoken about. But, um, yeah, I, I'm always interested in a little bit of chaos. Maybe we could put it that way. Right. I think there's, no, there's, yeah. there's chaos in noise, yeah? Um, yeah. Yeah, Chaos course. is interesting. I, th- I think I think that is that might be something that unifies all composers. I think you don't really get into into writing music if you're not willing to 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 sort of wrestle with chaos. I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, well mm, maybe. I mean, I guess there are those composers that get into music because they want they want to tame the chaos. Oh, absolutely! Instead, like but- kind of like what you were saying about about noise at the very beginning. You know, you can it's it's always there. 
and you can either work with it or you can work against it. And it's, it's kind of, I mean, it, to, to assume as a composer that you can tame the chaos is kind of dumb, but, <laughs> but I, I do think so many people go at, you know, go at composing that way to be the ultimate authority, to be the, to be, you know, the, uh, to, to, to just control, you know, but it, I, I do think there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of things that come out of just kind of going with the chaos and the randomness and, and, you know, a lot of good things come out of that. Again, absolutely. So no, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being that sort of composer that you want to try to tame the chaos, but it's, it's, that's, that's a, that's a difficult task and a massive skill set is. is required, you know? So I think, um, for myself or anyone that uh, sees themselves as composing similarly to me, um, I would say that I sort of, yeah, like like you mentioned, I try to work with the chaos. But, um, yeah, I, I sort of um, just al – I, I allow for things. I'm not going to yeah. um, get too hung up on, you know, the what is lost in translation between what I conceive of as sound and what I end up hearing of as sound. I think that I'm always resetting the goalposts with all of these pieces, with all of my expectations. And I think that's a really, I think it's a good way to be. Look, put the pressure on yourself. If you have something to say that needs a particular type of polish or structure, fine. Um, but I think there's a lot to be said for uh, uh, trying to commit something to paper in metaphorical terms and then bringing it to the performer and having an open mind enough to allow the piece to evolve with what you start hearing in the process of yeah. workshopping and, and preparing for performance. Yeah. Well, let's listen to this piece now. This is, uh, again, who is the performer that we're hearing? Uh, Patricia Sermon. And this piece is called Lilith Cometh.
All right. Last question time. Awesome. Um, <laughs> it's the uh, it's the question that I always ask all the composers, performers, artists that are on the podcast. How did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? Um, look, uh, my earliest memory of of having uh, a great interest in music um, was I think I was at a um, I was at dinner at an RSL with my grandfather. Um, who so at RSL is a return servicemen's league. It's sort of a, a club that we have in Australia, all over Australia. Um, that essentially is is a is a, a it used to function as a hangout for return servicemen, where they could have a beer mm-hmm. and, and whatever else. But it also has become and always was, uh, I think, somewhere where families can hang out and have a good meal together. Um, I uh, remember very very fondly a dinner where there was a pianist playing some live music. And I sat right next to him. I think I might have been three or four. And um, I think that was uh, right before my mum signed me up for some piano lessons and it sort of took off. I went to um, a performing arts school in high school and um, it was at that point around 16, I think, that I started meeting people that wanted to go to a conservatory to study for university. And at around that time as well, I had some teachers that encouraged me to try to express myself musically through composition as a so, as opposed to music um, and sort of focus on that in my last two years of high school. And from there, it was a journey right to UNT where I did my doctorate and got <laughs> to meet you, my good friend. So, Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I, I was talking to um, another UNT grad just earlier tonight, um, uh, Chaz Underreiner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh I, I i didn't know if you guys overlapped so i i was uh i was just asked the question like you know oh oh did you uh did you overlap with mark and he's like yeah good guy great guy to drink with <laughs> <laughs> somebody said that's good <laughs> yeah but i mean what you know would like with all of the Seamus and latex and all and all those things, you know, you go and you listen to four or five hours of electronic music per day, you you kind of have to drink. And I have to say, man, there's no better person to drink with than you. You're you're a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. I have look, not, none of you guys, I have to say, none of you guys shied away. Okay. So don't don't be giving me all the props when you boys were there. Okay? Oh no, we didn't shy away. No, at all. no, 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 no. No, no, okay. no. Lots of alcohol was consumed. But. I, I I tip the wrist is all I do. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you guys are the one holding. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's great. Well, before we go, can uh, can you tell people where they can find more of your music, how to connect with you online, stuff like that? Absolutely. Okay, um, look, if you do a Facebook search for Mark Olivero Composer, you will find my Composer site where I share a lot of my works in progress and after performance. Um, actually, you can see um, on that Mark Olivero Composer Facebook thing, you can see all of my early experiments with the broken toys if you're interested. So you can <laughs> dial it all the way back and check that out from about a year ago. Nice. Um, uh, on my SoundCloud, you'll find me. My handle is uh, Marcus with a K, music hyphen one. Uh, you should find that there. Um, otherwise, I'm also on uh, YouTube and my handle is uh, terrible. It's Marky981. M-A-R-K-Y-981, you'll find me there. Um, Otherwise, um, yeah, just look me up on Facebook and um, I can share all my stuff with you there. 
Awesome. Thanks so much for doing this, Mark. Mate, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.